Sharon Wilharm, host of All God's Women podcast and internationally syndicated radio show. I'd love to invite you to join me as we bring to life the stories of women in the Bible and discover their relevance for our lives today. Listen at allgodswomen.com, your favorite podcast platform, or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. some opposition. Now, I don't know what your opposition is, but the Lord knows your opposition. Maybe your opposition is physical, relational, financial, psychological, hormonal. Fix it, Jesus. Whatever your opposition is, know this. A conqueror will never win if a conqueror never fights. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I am your host, Melba Toast. May this episode bless you and bring glory to God. Hello, ladies, and welcome back to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. I am so happy that you chose to tune into this episode. If you are new, welcome. This season, we're taking a deep look at the popular women's conference, The Gift Gathering. And this episode is part six of the teaching portion of the series. In part one, we looked at the purpose of the conference and compared it to the purpose of discipleship as found in scripture. In part two, we looked at the actual women who speak at this conference and the ministries they have. I provided you with a litmus test by which to judge whether they put themselves under the authority of God's word so that you could determine whether or not to follow them and allow them to disciple you in a way. We are in the middle of the third part of this series, where we're looking at the teachings that were presented at the 2020 conference. It is at this conference that Jenny Allen had each speaker give a message on a portion from Romans chapter 8, with the expressed purpose of giving the audience more of Jesus. So the sessions went like this. Jada Edwards gave a message on Romans 8 verses 1 to 4, proclaiming that God took care of our greatest need and Now we can live without condemnation. Jenny Allen gave a message on verses 5 to 8, teaching us to battle the negative thoughts that come from the enemy. Beth Moore, on verses 9 to 11, expressed how she wished that we would cherish that which is in us so that we would live supernatural lives. Joe Saxton was on verse 14 to 17, explaining how We were adopted and no longer need to be slaves to our fears, but should open our inheritance to accomplish our callings. Ruth Chow Simmons on verses 23 to 27 warned us that if we are counting on our resources to fulfill our callings, then we are not trusting in Christ. And today's session is given by Bianca Juarez Olthoff on Romans 8 verses 31 to 37. To listen to my critique of those sessions and discern how they handled scripture, you can check them out, though I highly suggest that you start from the beginning if you are new to the podcast and have just tuned in. Before we dive into Miss Olthoff's message, let's go to the text she is to address 
and read it for ourselves to see what the Holy Spirit has to teach us through the Apostle Paul, the author of this epistle. Let's get a little context to this message. Paul, in the earlier chapters of the epistle to the Romans, talked about all of humanity's problem, that all transgress God's law and are subject to death and will have to stand before God in judgment. Paul himself relays how he sees within him two things at war, his spirit and his flesh. In his mind, he desires to obey God's word, yet in his members, he is captive to the law of sin. At this point, right before chapter 8, Paul cries out to be set free from the body of death. Right here, I believe Paul is exemplifying what Jesus was pointing to in the first four Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. Like Paul, the poor in spirit will mourn over their sin. And like Paul, they are submissive or meek to God's word. And like Paul, they cry out in their hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew 5, 1-6 After crying out in his wretchedness, he praises and thanks God for Jesus Christ, who sets people free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 3-4 Paul proceeds to remind us that there are two types of people, those who set the mind on the flesh and those who set the mind on the Spirit, and that those who set the mind on the flesh cannot please God. But he says, We are not of the Spirit if we have the Spirit of Christ in us. Those who do not have the Spirit do not belong to Him. But if Christ is in us, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in us. Romans 8, 9-11 So because the Spirit of God dwells within us, we are not debtors to the flesh, but are called to, by the power of the Spirit, be putting to death the deeds of the body. And if we do, we will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Romans eight fourteen to 17 This suffering, the putting to death the deeds of the body, the wrestling with our own sin, the sin of others, and the curse of sin upon this world is nothing compared to the glory to be revealed to us. That the creation was subjected to futility and is groaning in pains, And we too, like the creation in the Spirit, are groaning inwardly, eagerly waiting for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is what we hope for, and it is in this hope that we wait for our redemption with patience. Now, let's get into the text. Let's begin at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts 
knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now here's Miss Olthoff's portion. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 31 starts off with several questions, but it's the first question that sets the stage for the rest of the passage. What then should we say to these things? Well, what are these things? If we come to a passage that starts with a question like this, we have to go back and see what Paul means by these things. These things are the context to answering all the other questions in the text. So, what are these things? 1. That God sent his own son to fulfill the law for us. That was verses 3 to 4. 2. That God's spirit is given to us and dwells in us to put to death the deeds of the body and by whom we cry, Abba, Father, bearing witness that we are sons of God. Verses 12 to 16. 3. That the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us according to the will of God. Verses 26 to 27. And 4. That God works all things out for our good, because He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. He calls us, He justifies us, and He glorifies us. Verse 28 to 30. Because all of it is God's work, and because God is for us, there is nothing that can come against us, nothing else that we are in need of that God has nor will not graciously be given to us. There is no charge that one can bring against us, for it is God who justifies. There is none who can condemn, because Jesus Christ is interceding for us, who is at the right hand of the Father. There is nothing that can separate us from Christ and his love. No tribulation, no distress, no persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ. Nothing, neither death or life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This passage is proclaiming our security in Christ. John MacArthur calls it invincibility, that Christians are invincible. The Reformers call it the perseverance of the saints, not because of anything within or about ourselves, but because of God. He predestined, he called, he justified, and he glorified. God does all his marvelous will, and all for our good and his great glory. We are invincible, we persevere, because God is at work in us and this world, and he is sovereign. Now, is that what Bianca Juarez Olthoff will teach? Well, let's dive into our message, shall we? Miss Olthoff starts her message with gusto. She draws the audience's attention by teaching them to holler back, but to holler back millennial style. Instead of replying to a message, teaching, or statement with amen, she instructs them to say facts. Instead of shouting hallelujah, we're to shout big facts. Instead of preach it, we're to say, say it again. And the new word she instructs us to use is on guard. Now, besides uh, perking the interest of the audience, she sets up this word to set up her message. So let's listen in. And and a new word that most people might not know, uh, I'm going to make it in vogue here at hashtag if gathering 2020 is this on guard. All right. Can you guys say on guard? Yes, on guard means to be ready to fight. And let me tell you, when it comes to being here at If Gathering, y'all, let me be honest with you, every year, I have this like hope and ambition that I am going to be able to pass out scripture and be learned and educated and be calm and wise and make all of the theologians in the room so proud. But then they give me the verse that I'm supposed to go through and it's Romans 8:37. How do you not get turned up when my Bible boyfriend Paul says you are more than a conqueror, okay? No, uh-uh. And maybe you're here today and you're like, Bianca, I do not feel like a conquering warrior. That's okay. That's okay. You want to know why? When we are surrounded by people who are stepping up to be conquering warriors, faith is contagious. Can I get an amen? That's a big facts right there. Okay, so she's laid out what she's going to focus on in this message. Her purpose in it is to encourage us to be conquerors. And I'm okay with that. The question is, How are we more than conquerors? Why does Paul say this? Is Paul's answer to these questions the same answer Bianca will give? Let's find out. She goes on to tell a story about how her husband has a literal sword under their bed in preparation for being on guard in case of intrusion. She uses this story as an illustration to how we are told to be on guard for what the Lord wants to do in our life because we have an enemy that wants to kill steal and destroy hand to heaven my husband has a five foot sword underneath our bed 
Now, the, I couldn't get it through TSA, so the lovely if girls got me this little baby sword right here, okay? So my husband has a sword underneath our bed, and I talked to him constantly. I said, baby, why do you have a sword under the bed? He said, if there's ever an intruder, I'll pull it out. Matthew Ray Oltoff, what, who are you? Some little Frenchman just says, on God, I will fight you. I'm like, what are you going to do, babe? But the truth of the matter is, is that my husband, Matt Oltoff, knows something that I want to remind us of in here today. John 10, 10 says that we have an enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Y'all, you got to be on guard for what the Lord wants to do in your life. Can I get an amen? All right, just starting out, I got to say that nowhere in Scripture... Are we instructed to be on guard for what the Lord wants to do in our life? Again, there's just this popular view that God is very dependent on us to get his will done. We have to be cherishing what's inside us so that we are led by the Spirit like Beth Moore taught us. We need to not be slaves to fear and open up our inheritance, the gifts that God has given, so that we fulfill our purpose. We need to not be counting our resources and now we need to be on guard for what God wants to accomplish in our lives. What happens if we're not on guard? Does God's will get done? The other issue is, what does Jesus mean by the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Steal what? Kill what? Destroy what? Steal, kill, and destroy what God wants to do in our lives? Right off the bat, that is completely contrary to what is in this passage. We just read how those... God foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. It's all his work and he accomplishes it. He doesn't need us to be on guard to get it done. Now we do have scripture that tells us to be on guard or watch out for false teachers, false shepherds. In fact, they are described as thieves and robbers. Those are who Jesus is actually talking about in John 10.10. 10. But is this what Bianca means? Are we to conquer false teaching and teachers? I don't think that's what she meant by using that passage. She states that as conquerors, we need to know what it is we are going up against and we need to fight. And Paul's words are going to help us out with this. She directs the audience to open to Romans 8 verses 31 to 37. And then says this. Now, as warriors, as Paul says that we are conquerors, we need to know what we're going up against. And yes, we have an enemy, but Paul is going to talk about some opposition. Now, I don't know what your opposition is, but the Lord knows your opposition. Maybe your opposition is physical, relational, financial, psychological, hormonal. Fix it, Jesus. Whatever your opposition is, know this. A conqueror will never win if a conqueror never fights. Because Jenny can come and drop a word bomb on us, but if you ain't ready to fight, you're going to keep on wandering in the wilderness and saying, why can't I get a victory? So I want to let the words of Paul the Apostle bathe over us in here as we continue on in our journey through Romans chapter 8. All right, so regardless of what our opposition is, we are to know that a conqueror never wins if a conqueror never fights. So if we don't fight, we will continue to wander through the wilderness. Well, is that a bad thing? Is it a sin to not fight? Will God's will not get done if I remain in the wilderness? 
So I'm supposed to fight so I don't wander in the wilderness. And this doesn't sound anything like what Paul has told us. <laughs> Paul writes as if the fight is over and we are conquerors because God gave his son who went to the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead and is now sitting at the right hand of the father interceding for us. But maybe she will go into that. She reads the passage and explains. See, what Paul did right now is he done jumped out of the pages and grabbed you by your collar, shaking you like a drill sergeant, and says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Now remember, remember, he starts off chapter 8 with a reminder that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that we have been set free from the law, hallelujah, that our minds have peace because the Spirit of God, we are no longer slaves and serfs, we are children and co-heirs with the Most High God, that the present suffering in this world pales in comparison to the future that awaits us, and we know that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Therefore, verse 31, if God is for us, I don't think y'all heard me. If God is for us, who in hell could be against us? Now that's the BIV, the Bianca International Version, and don't get mad at me, we don't say hell in church. Jenny said it first, okay? Secondly of all, I'm not speaking about a profane word. I'm speaking about actual location. See, because God says that the enemy has been banished to Hades. And the word of Isaiah says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Therefore, literally, if God is for us, ain't nobody in hell could be against us. There's no man on earth, no demon in hell that can come against and separate you from the love of God. Amen or amen. Oh my. Amen and amen. I love the passion she exudes as well. I wish she had included verses 29 and 30 to solidify not only that God works all things for our good, but also our security in his work. But man, oh man, that was pretty good. Let's keep listening. Big facts. Paul, Paul, like a lawyer, uh, Paul is making sure that we know that there is nothing that could separate us from the love of God. In verse 31, we see that opposition cannot separate us from God. We see in verse 33, accusations, that's when people come up against you, cannot separate you from the love of God. We see in verse 34 that condemnation, that's when you think God doesn't love you, condemnation cannot separate you from the things of God. And lastly, in verse 35, that not even separation could separate us from the love of God. Do you see the alliteration that I worked so hard at pulling in through the words of my Bible boyfriend? Opposition, accusations, condemnation, separation. Then you get to verse 37, and it should make sense. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay, it started out a little iffy, but man, did that turn around. I'm pleasantly surprised at this point. She continues by saying that the whole passage is fantastic, but she wants to hone in on verse 37 specifically. And she wants to do that because it's a super popular verse. One tossed around on Instagram or Facebook. One we have hanging on our walls and highlighted in our Bible. And her fear is that it is overused, causing it to lose its power especially if we overlook why Paul writes it. My fear is that it's overused, and as a byproduct of this, we have diluted the power of what Paul is preaching. See, Paul is writing to the Roman church, 
The Roman church, not only was the Roman church facing persecution and prosecution, but they were also feeling feeling a sense of oppression and depression on every side. And in chapter 8, Paul is reminding them and us of the power we possess because God is on our side. Wait a minute. I don't think this passage is informing us of any sort of power we possess. It's all about God's work. He is the one with the sovereign power. He's the one who predestined us in eternity past, who called us to himself. He's the one who justified us by his blood, Romans 5, 9, and resurrection, Romans 4, 25. And he's the one that sanctifies us, 1 Peter 1, 2, and Romans 15, 16. And he will glorify us with new bodies, Romans 8, 23. She continues on talking about what is meant by power, what the Romans understood about power, that to them power was the ultimate expression of authority and that soldiers and conquerors were more than heroes. Now, power is something important that I want to pull out of the pages here because this word power is a concept that we're familiar with in our day and age. But during that time, to the Romans, ultimate power and authority they were very familiar with. Because during this time, they were the epicenter of power. Rome was the epicenter of power. Rome was the capital. In fact, they invented the new order of power. So much so that even today, in 2020, words like capital punishment, capital law, capital land, were all derived from this understanding in Rome. And so to Romans, Power was the ultimate expression of authority. And to the Romans, warriors and conquerors were the heroes. And here, Paul is encouraging them that they aren't just conquerors. No, you are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. In fact, uh, this expression, more than conquerors in Greek, is from a Greek word, hypernikeo. Some translations say hypernikeo. But what this means is that it is a concise, it's to go beyond a concise victory. This prefix, hyper, Paul uses because he's saying a essentially, okay, so there's conquerors, but this isn't good enough. I need to hype you up with a hyper verb, okay? You are going to go beyond because of the insane love of God. You are beyond a conqueror. We, as it's been said, do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. And what Paul is saying here is you have a hyper victorious love. You are empowered to be unrivaled, that there is no foe that can take you down. No, in all these things, verse 37, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay, maybe what she says here is true, but something is off. First, let's take some time and examine who the emphasis is on here. One, she emphasizes the word power and closely connects it to authority by making the claim that to the Romans, power was the ultimate expression of authority after telling us that we possess power. Two, she emphasizes the words more than conquerors to explain that this is what we are because of the insane love of God. Now, I want us to think about something here because there is something just not quite right in her statements here. If the Spirit of God resides in us, we have a helper. He grants us strength in our weakness. He prays when we do not know what to pray for. He produces fruit in us. He convicts us of sins and enlightens us to his word, through his word. While we are all granted these wonderful blessings, 
We are nowhere told in scripture that because the Spirit works in us and is in us, we possess a power. I'm a bit of a stickler. The thought that one possesses the Spirit of God can and draws one to look at oneself. And even seems at times like one can wield this power whenever one chooses. The word possess connotes ownership and means have as belonging to one. The Holy Spirit's power does not belong to me, but I belong to God. And in his grace, he gives me the spirit who helps by empowering me to walk in his ways. The scriptures talk about God granting or giving power to his people. Isaiah 40, 29, Psalms 68, 35 but also describes people as weak. Weakness seems to belong to us. We may think we possess power, but really all power and authority has been given to God or given by God to Christ, who gives to whom he chooses when he chooses. In fact, we are really described as the possession of another, a slave to another, either to sin, death, and the devil, or to God and righteousness, Romans six fifteen and 23. Christians are described as Christ's bride, Christ's sheep, God's children, God's people. So because Paul exclaims that we are more than conquerors, that means we are, quote, empowered to be unrivaled, that there is no foe that can take us down, end quote, that really props us up, doesn't it? Well, let's look at the Romans passage again and look at who is emphasized in Paul's teaching and compare it to Bianca's teaching. I'll start at verse 27. And he who searches hearts, that would be God, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Just saying we don't sound like having a lot of power there. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, 
nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Really, I just don't like her teaching us that we possess power, and especially since Paul has, throughout the epistle of Romans, basically laid out how humanity is powerless to really do anything to save themselves. But it is by God's grace and His power, especially the gospel, which is the power unto salvation, that we are saved. And as he is expressing in this passage, it is by God's grace and power that we are more than conquerors. The emphasis in this passage is on God, the one who has all power. Therefore, our salvation is secure. We are conquerors because he conquered. Now, I understand why people say this, and I see the encouragement it's meant to give, but oftentimes our flesh makes it about us, glorifying us by what God has given us instead of being about him and his power, sovereignty, and might. But let's keep going. Ladies, I'm asking you a question. Is this through our expertise? Is this through our education? Is this through our waist size? Is this through our weight? Is this through our marital status? Is this through our money? Is this through our social media following? No, you are more than a conqueror in him. And a conqueror knows the source of their strength. A true conqueror knows that in the, mo- in the moment of weakness, we turn to God as the source of our strength. We are more than conquerors in him, through him. And my fear is that we don't know him. So we, can, we, can, we have a concept of God. We believe that we know him, but we don't know the power of him. So we doubt the conqueror in us. We don't know the power of him. So we doubt the conqueror in us. All right. Amen. I completely agree with her here. God is the source of our strength. And I too fear that women don't know him. But <laughs> I find this just a tad bit ironic. I too fear women don't actually know God. But why does she fear this? I mean, didn't Jenny Allen promise that we would leave loving Christ more Didn't she say we would get more of him? And we are six sessions in, only two more to go, and she still fears that we don't know this God. If we don't know Christ, we don't know God. For Christ and the Father are one. Christ reveals the Father. John 14, 10 to 11. And another thing, Paul didn't just claim that we are conquerors through Christ out of nowhere. Paul has been making an argument that our salvation our calling, our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification are secure because it is God who does the work, God who predestined, God who calls, God who justifies, God who sanctifies, God who glorifies. This is the power of God at work in our salvation. If any of these uh, ladies took the time to exegete the passage, we would get to know this God and his love and his power. If she was so worried, Why spend 13 of a 22-minute message talking about nomenclature or her husband and his sword or being prepared to fight, Romans' idea of power and authority, etc.? Why not show us God from this passage 
I mean, it's very easy to do. She proceeds to get very passionate and describes God. Who is him? Let me talk to you about him. The God who spoke and time began. The God who parted the land from the sea. The God who called night out of day. The God who causes mountains to quake and earths to shake. The God who lifts the sun and dips the moon. The God who sees our head hung low and lifts our gaze high. The God who knows our past and still grants us a future. A God who is over all and under nothing. A God who chases you and leaves the 99. A God who promises you a future and a hope. A God that will never leave you, forget you, or forsake you. A God who knows you and a God who loves you. A God who feels your pain and knows your shame. A God who sees your tears and knows your fears. A God who hung in shame and rose from the grave for our gain. Who's the God whose death has brought us life and resurrection has brought us us hope now to him we are more than conquerors in him do you know him him it ain't about you he is a mighty sovereign powerful god and he is a loving father and he is gracious to all but what is missing from this description how about a just god one who does not ignore sin Psalm 145, 20, 37, 38. How about a God who will one day pour wrath out on all who do not trust in the finished work of Christ? Psalm 1, 5, Matthew 13, 41, and 2 Peter 2, 9. Again, I have to think about the ladies hearing this that do not know the gospel, and who have continually heard throughout this conference how much God loves them and wants them to conquer over condemnation from others negative thoughts, lack of cherishing the spirit that is in them, conquer over fears that keep them from opening their inheritance, and feeling lost in their calling. All this and nothing of our actual problem, our sin and rebellion against a holy and just God, and the solution, the life and death of the conqueror, Jesus Christ, who conquered over sin, death, and the devil. For those of us who believe in this gospel, it will be counted as righteousness to us, who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 4, 22-25 So while what she describes of God is true, there are very important things that are missing that need to be said to those who, like Jenny said, are quote-unquote just checking Jesus out. And notice she says it's about him and it ain't about you, but this message is given to us to let us know that we need to fight and we possess power. She states that we often don't feel like a conqueror because we think of ourselves. For Miss Olthoff, though, when she thinks about Christ, she feels like dancing and playing gospel music. She quotes lyrics from songs and states that when we think about Jesus, we should be breaking out in praise and worship, and then proceeds to read a commentary on this passage. Now, 
according to the theologian, Dr. Brian Simmons, on the commentary on this verse, he says, love makes us a conqueror in three ways. No situation in life can defeat us or dilutes God's power. Two, we know that divine love and power works for us to triumph over all things. We share in the victory spoils of any, every enemy that we face. Now, this doesn't mean that it'll be easy. In fact, Margaret Thatcher says this, you may have to fight the battle more than once to win it. And if you get knocked down, you get back up. If you feel like a failure, you get back up, knowing that God will use every aspect of your story for his glory. Yep, that's the point of this passage. All things work for our good and his glory. All victory is his, all praise is his, all glory is his. And I'll say this, Though she quotes Margaret Thatcher relaying how one doesn't quit, trying to encourage us not to, God's good plan and purpose even succeeds when we fail and don't get back up. Even our failures are included in the statement, all things. Even things such as trials, tribulations, persecutions, and even death, the ultimate end God uses for our good and his glory. Miss Olthoff goes on to tell the story about how her husband and her started a church in California and most recently decided to expand it to another campus within a prison. In this new church plant, she describes a man by the name of Jeremiah and how he had become so on fire for God that he spread the news of, nope, not the gospel, but the church. She basically explains how the church plant expanded because these inmates loved the way they worshipped and taught the word. So they spread the word about this church, causing even their family members to tune in by YouTube and, quote, say yes to Jesus. This is her example of how God uses all things for his glory and our good. And then she goes back to Paul, who she says is always trying to get our eyes on God and reads Ephesians 320. Now, Romans 8.37 isn't a statement of probability or possibility. It is a statement based in reality. Paul is always trying to reorient his readers to get their eyes off of them and get them on God. In fact, a scripture that we've been going through all weekend has been peppered in through various messages. But when Paul wrote a message to the Ephesian church, he wrote not a message just to the Ephesian church, but the region of Ephesus and even for us today. And in the third chapter, the 20th verse, Paul says this, now to him, do you see what he did there? He made it about God, not to you, you ain't able, on your best day, boo-boo, no matter how good you look, no matter how much of a thigh gap you have, how much is in your bank account, guess what? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Even the words that come out of your mouth pale in comparison to what God can do. Guess what? Even if you can't even think it, it is beyond your imagination. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask, think, hope, or imagine according to the power that is at work within us to him be the glory yes this is very true paul always wants to speak about the gospel and point us to christ he is not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes to the jew first and also to the greek for in it the righteousness of god is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith romans 1 16. He determined to know nothing among the churches but Christ and him crucified, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. 
In the verses right before Ephesians 3, verse 20, he states that he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verses 17 to 19. So, as even Paul was determined to know nothing among them but Christ and his, him crucified, if it's really all about him, why, oh, why are we not hearing about him? Why does she proclaim at points in this message that it is all about him, yet the rest is all about us and how we are to pick up our sword and shout on guard to be conquerors? She goes on to talk about how she struggles with all sorts of things, with her church and with her teenagers and even her weight. But though you may have problems, you won't know how strong you are until strong is your only option. Don't be afraid of the trials, the trauma, and the tribulation of your life. A conqueror considers resistance as a sign that she's going in the right direction. Is it hard? Absolutely. Planting a church has taken everything out of Matt and I. There are mornings that I feel like I have an anvil on my chest because of the pressures and the stress of people coming in from all around Southern California and we ain't got no building. We are a pop-up, tear-down church. We've got a, a, a staff, air quote staff, because we can't pay any of them. Not even Matt and I are paid. And, but they're basically working full-time jobs and serving full-time in church. I feel that pressure. You want to talk about trial, trauma, and tribulation? I live with two teenagers in my house. Glory to God. I low-key want to beat them every other day, <laughs> you know? I, I have 20 pounds of extra loving that is so extra it ain't loving, and no matter how hard I pray, it won't melt away. None of this. But see, what we see here is you got problems, you got perils, you got persecution. You will never know how strong you are until strong is your only option. Paul the Apostle was, weeped, was whipped, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, abandoned, starved, deprived, accused, and abused. And yet he said to the Roman church, would I speak over us today? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So guess what, buttercup? It's time to pick up your sword and shout on guard because you are more than a conqueror in Christ. This is what I call using Christ to boost your ego. You are strong, you are mighty, you are a conqueror. A message that uses Christ and his power so you can have faith in yourself and what he's given you, how he's empowered you. The motivation within the message and these types of teachings is to push you to go to Christ for what he gives to his people. Many people come to Christ for these blessings, yet they do not want Christ himself. They haven't been told even of their need for him, their sin and their lack of ability to be right with God. It's wanting what a father gives, food, shelter, protection, power, but not realizing one's sins against the father who has graciously provided. Yet there's a constant rebellion against him. It's like the prodigal son. Give me the inheritance so I can go do my thing. And what the audience really needs is for these women to expose how the listeners are doing this. Call them to repentance so they see the muck and pig panels they have chosen to live in, their sinful nature and flesh that they walk in, and show them and urge them to meditate on the Father, to go to Him 
through Christ. And that's the end of her message. And I would say that was the best message given so far, and the most we've heard about Christ than all the others combined. There were several things I would agree with. It's just that she veers off track with the emphasis on us fighting and conquering in this life, while Paul's emphasis is a bit different. Paul in Romans 8, 31-37 not only tells us that we are conquerors, Miss Olthoff's point, but also how we are, expounding on God's sovereignty in our salvation and our lives. This passage is about the perseverance of the saints. It is deep and rich in drawing out the security we have in Christ because of Christ. It describes why our salvation is secure, why our calling, justification, and glorification are invincible, because it is God at work. While Miss Olthoff rightly points out that we are conquerors through Christ, her emphasis throughout her message has been on us and herself. She wants to encourage us as fighters who will accomplish God's calling. But Paul wants to encourage us as conquerors because Christ has accomplished the salvation of his people. She rightly worries that there might be ladies that don't know God. But instead of taking time to really look at this passage and draw out from it God, his sovereignty, Christ and his work, and the involvement of the Holy Spirit in transforming us, we are encouraged to just believe that we are conquerors through Christ. And while she really gets emotionally charged about Christ, do you feel she has explained this passage to you? Or did she draw your attention to some power you possess inside you? Well, what do you think? Did Bianca Juarez Olthoff handle the text correctly? Let me know at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. I'd be interested to know what you think. So until next time, where we will take a look at a message by Ann Voskamp on Romans 8.32, I pray that you go back to the passage in Romans and meditate on God's great sovereignty over your life and salvation. That he in eternity past predestined those who he calls and calls those who he justifies and justifies those who he glorifies. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 3-14 I pray you understand that because it is his work then all things that we think would hinder us from Christ's love and being one day glorified with him, these things have no power. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that the more you realize this, the more your love and faith in him grows, driving you to want to know him more and more. Not just what he can give you, not just the blessing of being a child of God, but him, Christ, our Savior. And in that love for him, you call him Lord and walk in his ways and obey his commands. I pray you are in his word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me, as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.